Welcome to Midi the Podcast, a modern day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse, founder of the Midi Society, and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew and poo. Alright, let's get started. In today's episode, I speak with expert women's health physio Jess Costos about pelvic health postpartum, more specifically pelvic floor and healthy bladder and bowel function. As two healthcare professionals, both Jess and myself have identified that too many women postpartum suffer in silence with urinary incontinence and bladder control. Today, we discuss what exactly the pelvic floor is and the vital role it plays, as well as what normal bladder function is and how to identify the abnormal and when to seek help. Please welcome back to the podcast, the very knowledgeable Jess. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Midi the Podcast. Today, I am joined once again by the incredible Jess Costos. So, Jess, can you tell everyone who maybe hasn't heard of you before or listened to our previous episode a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Mon, and thanks for having me back. Um, I've really enjoyed seeing your podcast grow over the last few months since I last spoke to you. Um, For those who don't know me, my name is Jess Costos, and I'm a... Well, I'm also known as the Mama Physio on Instagram, but um, I'm a pelvic health physio and a Pilates instructor. Yeah, and you do so much to educate women, so especially with pelvic health. So I thought from following last week's episode, who better to have back on the potty to talk about pelvic health than you? Because today we're going to be talking more specifically about pelvic floor and healthy bladder and bowel function postpartum. Great. I'm so excited to chat about it. And it was so sad to hear about that lady's story. So it'll be nice to kind of talk about it from a physio's perspective and get your perspective as well. Yeah. And, you know, after having a baby, often for many women, a lot of the focus is on the baby and they really do forget to look after themselves. And as you mentioned last week, on the podcast, I did speak with Erin where she shared her incontinence journey and the impact that that has had on her today. And it just highlighted to me, and you know this especially, how we need to do more to educate women around this topic because we often place incontinence as a normal thing after having a baby. And we're here to break that stigma because we know that that is not the case. Um, So I'm super excited to be chatting with you. And I was saying it was like the universe knew that I was doing this podcast today at work because all I feel like I did today was help women with their bladder care, measuring their wheeze and making sure that their bladder was functioning okay to go home. (laughs) Well, I would say that same too, but that's what I'll do all day. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So true. But no, I did it an abnormal amount today than what I usually would do. Um, So that just highlights once again that we all go through this. 
So I guess let's start back to basics. What is the pelvic floor? So the pelvic floor is the floor of your pelvis. And I think like a lot of people assume that it's just like one little muscle. And I think they assume it's like this circular muscle, but actually it's a big hammock. And if you kind of look down into your own pelvis, it starts at the front of your pubic bone and there's a big sling around your urethra and back and around the vagina and back and around the anus and back. And it slings up to the coccyx and kind of out to the sides as well. So you you could say it's like a hammock as well. And it has a few different roles. So obviously it keeps you continent, um, but it also holds your pelvic organs up from underneath and it's got a sexual function as well. And I feel like we often know our pelvic floor by being like hearing things in school when we're growing up being like, oh, you know, every traffic light you should, you know, tension your pelvic floor or do something like that. Or we know that once you have a baby, your pelvic floor might be damaged a little bit. Um, You just highlighted some of the important roles that it does. So I guess as a women's health physio, what discussions do you have most around the pelvic floor? Yeah, I think um, one of the big questions is why, like, is why haven't they worked for me? Because I think a lot of people will Google them. You know, they've been trying for years to squeeze a pelvic floor at traffic lights, and a lot of the <laughs> See? told you yeah. it's, what, it's what we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, that's a big discussion. And you know, it might the answer might be something around the technique's not right. It might be the dosage. It might be that they're underactive or overactive or they might have something else going on. Like, you know, they might have trauma to the pelvic floor or they might have a prolapse or they might have bowel issues. Um, That's one thing. And I think another thing that I tend to chat about a lot is prevention of pelvic Mm. floor issues. Um, People coming in for their like prenatal screening and kind of asking about what they can do to prevent issues postpartum. And then I'm also always having a discussion about like normal versus common as well. So, you know, Mm. people kind of tend to think, oh, everyone's got leakage as if it's normal, but just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. Yeah, that's 100% right. And um, I think a lot of women, which we touched on last time when we were speaking with each other, don't realise that they can actually come in for those antenatal assessments for you to assess their pelvic floor before having a baby. And that is for the prevention side of things. Um, But lots of women don't realise that they can actually book in with the women's health physio and do that. Mm. And it's actually really helpful. Like there is evidence to show that if you get a prenatal assessment, you're going to have better outcomes postnatal. So I always encourage it to everyone. It's just a shame that in the public health system, it's not on offer yet, but hopefully in the future. Mm. And you touched a little bit on what is normal, like pelvic floor function. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah. So um, a normal pelvic floor can go on and also off. That's important because I think sometimes people kind of really focus on the on and they never really let go. Mm. Um, And then if we think about like bladder and bowel control, like you should be able to hold on for the toilet, you should be able to hold on and put off your urge, you know, if you've got a meeting and you need to wait till the end. Um, Mm. The same with your bowels, you should be able to hold on until a suitable time as well. Um, 
that's kind of the main function that I would kind of talk about when you're thinking normal. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to move on to a little bit more throughout pregnancy. Throughout pregnancy, some women experience incontinence and I know the main focus of this episode is around postpartum, but can you share a little bit during pregnancy what we would still expect a normal pelvic floor to be doing? Yeah, so I think a lot of women who come in for their prenatal checks, I'll say, you know, how's your bladder? Are you getting any leakage? And they'll be like, yeah, but that's normal in pregnancy. Yeah. So it's actually not normal. You sh- you sh- your pel- pelvic floor should be able to withstand your pregnancy and, you know, it should be able to withstand if you cough or you exercise in pregnancy. It should, I think, like, when you're pregnant, you're probably going to go to the toilet more frequently than... <laughs> pre-pregnancy you know you've got a lot of things pushing on your bladder as well as the hormonal changes but all the other functions in terms of being able to defer urges and hold on to your continent should be the same yeah and that is a massive misconception that I feel like you hear women be like oh just weed myself like if they're laughing if they're pregnant this even goes for postpartum but it isn't normal and it's best to seek out seek help early from your healthcare provider or seek help from a women's health physio yeah definitely and then once we go down the stage of having a baby obviously there's a lot that can occur to your pelvic floor with pushing out a baby Do you mind explaining a little bit more about that and how pushing can affect our pelvic floor? Yes. Just to say before I start, I don't want to scare anyone off (laughs) pushing their baby out. No. I think it's nice to be aware of what can happen. So I suppose when you're pushing, like you've got to think what the pelvic floor is doing. So, you know, your pelvic floor needs to get out of the way and relax and lengthen Mm. for your baby to get out through that outlet. Otherwise, it's going to be an obstruction. So if your pelvic floor can't lengthen to fit the baby's head out, then what can happen is you can have a stretching of the walls, which can afterwards potentially end up in a prolapse, or you can have tearing of the pelvic floor and it can tear at different points. It can kind of tear at the front near the urethra or or more commonly towards the back of the perineum. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be scared of tearing, I suppose. Like it's so common, um, it, you know, normally it heals pretty well if it's a smaller tear, um, but there are things you can do that can kind of lessen that. And that's mm. why it's really good to see a women's health physio because you can kind of check, is my pelvic floor healthy? Is it contracting? Is it relaxing? Do I need to do more perineal massage? you know, are there other things yeah. to be focusing on? Yeah. And a lot of stuff that, you know, you want to be proactive in checking because it's too late to do that postpartum. And mm-hmm. as you said, Jess, this is not to scare anyone, but I think the way that you just described that made perfect sense because it it makes sense that that pelvic floor has to actually move out of the way to birth a baby. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. So that was a normal response I'm going to say it again, normal response for anyone listening. And that's what we would expect your pelvic floor to do. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's designed to stretch that much. So otherwise, you know, otherwise the baby wouldn't be coming out of there. (laughs) Exactly right. Yeah. And we, 
most women are striving for a vaginal birth. So it's really important to have this education and be able to put things together and know why the physiology works the way that it does. But then once we've had a baby, obviously some women's pelvic floor could be damaged a little bit more than others. Now we're going to talk a little bit about bladder function postpartum. So what would you say that normal bladder function is versus what's not? Yeah, so um, different facets. So normal would be being able to hold on for your urges with the toilet and you should be able to, I suppose most people are going to the toilet every like three to four hours depending on what you're drinking. Um, You should be able to defer an urge and hold on for a little bit longer. Um, You should be able to hold and not have any leakage when you cough or you sneeze or you exercise. I suppose like in the direct, in the first like six to 12 weeks postpartum, I I would expect your pelvic floor to be weak. So Mm. I suppose normal is really different then, which is why I will normally tell people not to do anything high impact, you know, so that might be like jumping or running after toddlers or, um, you know, even like a big cough or sneeze is probably going to be high impact um, Mm. because your pelvic floor is still recovering. So it might not be strong enough to resist that in the first 12 weeks. I just thought of another question, which I should have asked before, Um, back to the pelvic floor. If you are a woman who has a cesarean over a vaginal birth, can our pelvic floor still be impacted in any way? Yeah, so pregnancy itself is a risk factor. So, you know, let's put it this way. I think sometimes people look at pregnant women and because it happens gradually, they kind of don't really realise that the pregnancy itself is weakening the pelvic floor. But let's just say most people put like 15 kilos on when they're pregnant. If I handed you a kettlebell that was 15 kilos and you stood there holding it against your chest, they're like, that's really heavy. And if you haven't actually strengthened your pelvic floor or your pelvis, that's going to definitely weaken your pelvic floor and fatigue it and then potentially Mm. weaken it as well. So just that process of pregnancy itself will weaken it and then the birth can can weaken it as well but you know cesarean isn't protective against pelvic floor issues yeah and I didn't mention before but we know if women have like an instrumental delivery via forceps or vacuum that can also contribute to um, some damage to the pelvic floor as well also with pregnancy comes hormone changes and often with that is the relaxant hormone. A lot of the pelvis is relaxed because we know that it needs to do that with all the ligaments to allow um, our pelvis to birth the baby. So thank you pregnancy for adding all these wonderful things in to make it a little bit more hard for us. So for a midwife postpartum, when we are looking after women in the hospital, especially in that first 24 hours, we do like to make sure that their bladder is functioning correctly. And that's what I was saying I was doing today. So if you're someone who's had a baby and you've had a catheter, what we like to do, and every hospital is different, usually we do a trial of void. That's what it's called. Um, And it's once your catheter has come out, we would like to see you do a wee within six hours to make sure that the urge is still there and that when you've done a wee, the amount is normal and that the sensation is normal. These are the things that we sort of have to tick off as a midwife 
um, to make sure that things are functioning okay. If we start to see any changes in the normal, that's when we would refer you to women's health physio within the hospital and then they would get involved. And even if you haven't had a catheter, if you've just birthed um, naturally and you haven't had any catheter inserted, we still will measure your wheeze to make sure that everything is working correctly. So that's sort of what you can expect in the hospital. And lots of people, when I hand them these wee buckets, they're like, what, what am I doing? Am I weighing in that? What is like, what is actually going on? But yeah, we usually just like to make sure that everything is working normally. So Jess, are there any misconceptions or myths of bladder control postpartum that you hear a lot about? Yeah, so postpartum, I suppose, like we kind of touched on it. I think some people will think that because they have a cesarean that they're not going to have pelvic floor issues and mm. then they see me postnatal and they're really surprised and shocked that they've got issues, um, mm. you know, the reason people have leakage is not always due to a weak pelvic floor. And sometimes it can be for these women, but it could be something else going on that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, I think that's one. And then another one would be that um, if you don't have symptoms postpartum, you don't need to see a physio and you don't need to do pelvic floor mm. exercises. So that's kind of common, probably less common now. I feel like people are getting on the bandwagon. They love doing their exercises yeah. um, at the moment. But I think sometimes people are kind of sitting on just on their threshold of their pelvic floor strength and they might be fine now, but like add in another pregnancy, add in, I don't know, they go back to their training for a marathon or whatever <laughs> and then wow. start getting yeah. symptomatic later. Mm. Yeah. And I think another one which we touched on was that obviously incontinence is normal, which it's not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that leads me to the next question. Incontinence. Most people would be aware of what that word means, but for people that aren't too sure, do you mind explaining what exactly incontinence is? Yeah. So incontinence is when you leak urine. So it's um, an involuntary action and there's different types of incontinence. So the main one that people tend to think about is stress incontinence. And what that is, is when there's any type of downward force, whether it's a cough, sneeze, lifting or exercise, and your pelvic floor is not strong enough to resist that. And then you may have some leakage. And then there's another type of incontinence, which um, we don't really tend to think about, but sometimes people come in and they tell me that their bladder is really weak and it's called urge incontinence. And it's when generally the way I would describe it is that your bladder's your bladder muscle is really strong and contractile and it might be so strong that you're getting leakage with your urges as well. Yeah, that's good to know because there are different types. Mm. Um, and We've probably touched on it, but is there any specific reasons why women might experience postpartum incontinence? Yeah, so many different reasons. I'd say like firstly, reduced sensation is a big one. So mm. um, if you've had an epidural, um, obviously it takes a while for the epidural to wear off. So the epidural could have been for a cesarean or a vaginal birth. Um, so you might have reduced sensation down there. So you might not actually be getting... Um, the signal to go to the toilet. So yeah. different 
reasons you might get leakage. Your bladder might just keep filling and kind of overflow because you didn't get the urge or you might just not get the sensation and not be able to contract against it so you're leaking. Um, but there might also be reduced sensation because um, there's swelling in the pelvic floor or mm-hmm. let's just say someone had a cesarean. Normally when you get an urge, you feel pressure just above your pubic bone and if the area is numb, you're not, you're not going to feel that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and another big reason for it as well would be constipation. I think I think I did a poll recently on who was go, who had constipation postnatal, and it was really high. It's like eighty percent of women. I'd say most. And um, if you're constipated, which is common postnatal because you just have the hormonal changes and you're not active and you don't have your baby pushing on your bowels, um, but the the full bowels can push on your bladder, and that can mm. just change its function as well. Mm. That's so important. And also like, especially the pain relief that we give you in hospital, um, it is common to get get constipated from that. Often women go home on iron supplements sometimes as well. Uh, so there's a lot that can contribute to the constipation and especially the hospital food. Some hospitals don't have great food. All the time women say, is it normal that I haven't opened my bowels like two days after, you know, having a baby? And I say, yes, normal. One, you've probably pooped in labor, um, which you may not know about. But two, exactly what you said, you're not moving around, you're not being as active as you normally would be a couple of days ago, and you're not eating all the foods that you normally would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I forgot forgot to say before as well, um, for other reasons to leak after having a baby, like obviously the trauma that your pelvic floor mm. kind of goes through to stretch. Like it's, 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 I, I'd almost say it's kind of slightly normal, but I don't want to say normal, but you know, you can kind of imagine things are still recovering. So it's, it will be quite weak expect in the first few days. And it, you know, sometimes people do have a bit of leakage then. Yeah. And that's the side of normal that we also need to be aware of. And obviously your body's just going through massive changes. Like it takes so much to push out a baby. I would be amazed if we could walk away and just be, you know, Scott free. <laughs> like it's a lot to push out a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of the incontinence postpartum, how can you help women, Jess, as a women's health physio? What role do you play in the assessment or how can you assess what actually is going on? Yeah, so um, there's kind of different stages here because I do work in a public hospital and I do work private. So if I'm kind of catching women in the hospital, you know, I might be doing a bladder scan to check that they're emptying properly um, Mm -hmm. and giving them some advice on like general, um, general like bladder habits just so they kind of start to adopt that postnatal as well. Um, I'm, and I might also, what well, in the hospital, kind of look at the perineum and just check if they're actually contracting properly or what it looks like. Um, generally, I might, in the hospital setting, I might give them a call a week or two later and just kind of give them some more advice then. And then it's about, it's around the six-week mark, then we might see them face-to-face. And that's when I'll also see people privately face-to-face. And what I would normally recommend for someone is to have a vaginal examination 
And so that will generally be to see how things have healed, how you're contracting your pelvic floor, if there's anything else structurally going wrong, like prolapse, things like that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And then just teaching correct pelvic floor contraction. But I know there's sometimes there's women who don't want that. And, you know, I can use real-time ultrasound. I don't, I would normally recommend a vaginal examination, but there is the option as well. Yeah. So if you're someone who has had a baby, you've gone home, when would you say it's actually not really normal to have that little bit of leakage postpartum? I would say, I would probably say the first like up to a week, if someone's got like a little bit here and there, I would almost go on to say potentially normal dependent really yeah. on the person's situation. Mm. Um, but I think like, you know, a lot happens in a week, the swell, like, you know, someone's so swollen a week later, so much better. Um, yeah. I think from then onwards, if someone's still getting leakage and things, that's when I would definitely um, speak to your midwife, your obstetrician, and definitely seek out a referral um, and link you in with a pelvic floor physio. Yeah. And often like I see in hospital and when I visit women at home, sometimes they get stuck breastfeeding their baby mm-hmm. or the focus is so much on their baby that they forget to like do their bladder care and, you know, have good functioning of their bladder because they get stuck there feeding their baby for hours and hours and hours that they don't want to move because they don't want their baby to come off the breast, which they've been trying for so long to get them there. And that once they stand up because they don't have that signal going to their brain as quickly as maybe it did a few days ago, they can have that slight little bit of leakage just before they get to the toilet. Um, Yeah, definitely happened quite frequently. (laughs) Yes. And I, you know, I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, Jess, but I say to women that that is normal and you know that's why we say in hospital you should be trying to toilet at least every three to four hours and drinking at least two to three cups of water an hour yeah yeah and I think you know if I always say to women when you're doing your pelvic floor exercises like let's just say I assessed you 35 weeks um, and your pelvic floor you can hold for 10 seconds when I see them then I'll say as an expectation you know in the first week don't be concerned if when you squeeze your pelvic floor, it feels like it just kind of goes on and then off straight away. And then in mm-hmm. the next week, you might be able to hold for like two or three seconds and then a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And then at the six-week check, you might feel like you're almost back then. But, you know, it's yeah. slight improvement with time. So, you know, if you're trying to hold on and challenge your bladder in those early days, I'm kind of expecting your pelvic floor to be weaker. So you might not be able to if you're really challenging it. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense. And we wouldn't expect anyone to bounce back straight away. Um, (laughs) Are there any like definite red flags for women who go home postpartum where you would say you need to seek help sooner rather than later? Yeah, so if you and not empty your bladder properly, definitely a big red flag. Like if you kind of, you're drinking, sometimes women are guzzling back water and then they're like, I've been to the toilet once today and they might have a bit of a stomach ache or something. Red flag, definitely. Um, And then another one would just be leaking, but like significant amounts of leakage. 
that, um, you know, like you just stand up and you're leaking more than just a drop, like a big gush or something like that. That's when I would definitely speak to your midwife and you'll probably end up getting, if they link you in with a physio, they're probably getting in contact with you within a day or two. Mm. And I just think it's super important because especially, you know, in hospital, we're quite onto it and it's literally a tick box before we send you home. But when I see women who have gone home postpartum, like five days down the track and they're having that little bit of leakage and, you know, they're in contact with the physio, just they're so deflated because I touched on this topic with Erin in the last episode they're so deflated because they've lost such a normal function um, from their pre-baby to post-baby. Like for someone who's fit and healthy to lose control of their bladder functioning, it's really tough for them. Yeah, I can totally understand that. And I think like a lot of people don't have that foresight that like I see women like that all the time. So I can kind of predict what's going to happen. But I think a lot of the time people jump to the to the worst conclusion and think I'm going to be leaking myself and wearing nappies forever. Mm. Yeah. And also some people put it into the category as well, being like, well, this is normal. It's all going to heal by itself and I'll be fine. And then they find themselves in this situation months down the track, which is what we're trying to educate people about today. Um, What do you recommend women to do to prevent incontinence? Like, you have mentioned about doing a physio assessment antenatally, but are there any tips or tricks for women postnatally that you could suggest? Yeah, so I will tell women to start your pelvic floor exercises the moment you get home from the hospital. So it's not, the main goal initially is not strength. The goal is to get that neural regeneration. So you're just kind of doing on, off, on, off, just to keep that connection down there. Um, and slowly progressing that as well. Um, I'll also tell women to start doing what we call the knack. So that's when you time your pelvic floor contraction, when you like cough or you sneeze or you lift your baby. Um, because women also tend to lose that reflexive contraction when they give birth as well. So trying to get those neural connections, get the reflex back up and running as well. And then another big tip as well is obviously avoiding constipation, which we touched on earlier. Um, That's a big one. I'll tell women to expect it and I'll generally give quite a bit of advice in terms of, you know, fluids. I think, you know, if you're breastfeeding, you've got to drink a lot, like at least a litre more than what you're normally drinking. And then, you know, some recommendations for stool softeners as well because, like, in the early days, sometimes natural methods just don't cut it. You do need something a lot stronger. Mm. Especially if you have had a cesarean because you will be given stronger pain relief than someone who has had a vaginal delivery and they're the stronger pain relief, especially some of the pain relief that's given during the cesarean, it's going to put you at more risk of being constipated. Mm, Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that is in women's mind who experience, not constipation, (laughs) who experience incontinence postpartum is going on to have another baby. What are the risks of having incontinence and then going on to have another baby? Yeah, so I think it is definitely a topic of conversation I have really common and and also with prolapse as well. 
Mm. Um, and, you know, having been pregnant and the number of babies you've had, so parity is definitely a risk factor to incontinence and prolapse. So, you know, the first delivery is definitely the one that puts you more at risk and then the others are slightly lesser. I don't know the exact amount off the top of my head. But I think you've got to kind of weigh up the pros and cons and you've got to really focus on the modifiable risk factors and the things you can't control. So from my perspective, I'll be talking about, you know, the risk factors for pelvic floor issues that are not related to birth, such as keeping your weight under control, um, constipation, mm. avoiding heavy lifting, but keeping your body really strong. You know, you don't, people don't really tend to have like an isolated strong pelvic floor and the rest of their body weak and floppy, you know. You've got to have a really strong glutes, core, body and go and, you know, things like that to also have a strong yeah. pelvic floor. Um, and then I'll talk about things to do with labour itself. So um, we know that if you push for a long extended period of time, that's a risk factor. So yeah. we a discussion about that. And then talking about, assistance in labor so forceps vontus can put you at increased risk as well so not to scare women but just to know make sure they're aware and they're informed um yeah then also kind of you might weigh up vaginal birth versus cesarean as well i think if someone has like really significant incontinence like let's just say really 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 bad um you know it kind of goes both ways i've had patients who have been told well look it's at the point where you're going to need surgery. So let's just have another vaginal birth and you can have surgery after. Or mm. if it's kind of manageable, sometimes they'll say, let's go down the cesarean route so that we're not weakening it even further. So it's really, it comes down to an individual assessment of each person and just really what's best for them and what their symptoms are like. Mm, it is very much like a clinical picture thing, mm. but it would be so tough because I feel like an incontinence, someone who's experienced incontinence, it comes with a journey and it's often like an emotional journey as well as a physical journey as Erin touched on last week. So just the decision and to weigh up the pros and cons of that would be really hard, but that's why it would be so great to have a women's health physio who can really dive deep into what you're feeling and you know how to support you get whatever birth you're striving for. Yeah, and I think as well, sometimes I have patients that come in and they're just like, I like I need to talk to someone about this. And I think sometimes it's hard if you don't have the same um, medical professional seeing you every time you go into the hospital. Mm. Um, you know, I might have a private obstetrician or midwife that, you know, is my go-to that I send people to and they do like a full birth debrief and give them all their options and they don't really tell them what to do, but they just make sure they're really informed. So it is something, if someone's really stunned on what to do, I think that's a really good option to consider. Yeah, hundred percent. And it comes down to like being educated and being informed so that you have the knowledge behind you because when you have that knowledge, things aren't as daunting and you're able to like piece the pieces of the puzzle together mm-hmm. to make the best decision for you whilst being supported by people that are also there to support you. Um, so my next question to you, Jess, is what is your advice to someone if they are still experiencing incontinence today? How can a physio help them? Yeah, so go see if like – 
go see a pelvic floor physio. Definitely. Um, yeah. You know, get in touch with me, find someone online, speak to your GP, whoever. I think the other thing as well is, is don't dismiss it if you've tried pelvic floor exercises and they haven't worked because pelvic floor physio is so much more than that. Um, you know, off the top of my head, you know, I might be doing management of, you know, prolapse, bowels, bladder, back pain, hip pain, general core strength, bladder retraining. I might fit a pessary. You might be using electrical stimulation. You might be using a TENS machine. You might be mm-hmm. using a perifit, things like that. There's so many other different things where I might be referring onwards. So I think just don't dismiss it and definitely give it a chance, but also give it enough time. You can't really expect for, you wouldn't expect if you're doing bicep curls for your bicep to just be like super strong, really muscly. After I expect that after the gym, but sadly it doesn't. <laughs> I wish, I wish. Um, so that's like me doing a core workout and then you're like, oh, have I got a six pack yet? Literally, yeah. Me, um, I went to the gym like half an hour ago and now I think that I'm huge. But, I'm- <laughs> but you know, you, you, you know that like externally it's consistency that is the key and you know that it, you've got to give it at least three months of shot to know whether it's going to work or not. So I think just mm-hmm. don't dismiss it and make sure you've got a really good team around you. Yeah. Do you feel like a lot of the women that you see struggle to prioritize their pelvic floor and doing those exercises? Because I'm going to throw my sister Emma under the bus here and say that she is not great at it and has really had to, you know, step it up to try and improve some things, but comes back to putting themselves second and their baby first. Definitely. I definitely agree. And do you know what? I feel like I'm like a coach in my sessions because I end up like really trying to motivate everyone in their sessions, but it's not just like, do your exercises. I'm like, when are we going to fit it in, in your day? When are you going to do it? Do you watch TV at the end of your day? Let's do it then. Let's do it when you brush your teeth. Let's do this or this. Like you can't leave it to chance because it doesn't happen. And it kind of needs to happen at the start of your day and it needs to be scheduled in. So if you're going to set your alarm and lie in bed and do it while you're snoozing your alarm, perfect. Mm. And then it's done. Mm, So true. Um, And we've touched a lot on about like the pelvic floor and doing pelvic floor exercises, but obviously there are some other treatment options available for incontinence. Um, Can you quickly share a little bit about that? Yeah, so I kind of touched on it before, but, um, you know, pelvic floor exercises, but, you know, there are medications as well. That's not a physio thing, but that does Mm. help. Um, Pessaries are a really big one. Um, there's so many different types of pessaries. I fit them in private and generally there's a pessary for everyone. Um, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but trust me, like when you find the right pessary for someone, they'll literally be like, oh, give me a hug. This fit, like I can't feel it at all, firstly. And I feel really Mm. confident that I can like jump on the spot and baby wear and things like that. That's Mm. a big one. Some people may not know what a pessary is. Um, So do you mind to quickly just explain that briefly, what a pessary is? So a pessary is, so a a pet, the word pessary is just like something that you insert anywhere. So like what I'm talking about is like a silicon device. It will be like a ring 
Um, it might be like the size of the palm of my hand. Um, and they kind of fold up almost like a menstrual cup is a type of pessary, I suppose. Mm. And you put it into the vagina and it pops up. And I, I like to call it like the sports bra of the pelvis. So it, kind of, <laughs> it supports everything and it just holds it up like that. <laughs> I love that. Gives them a lift. Yeah, it gives it a lift and it means if you've got prolapse symptoms, it helps, but it can also kind of do, I always say like to patients, it does that and it holds the bladder. So if you do cough mm. or sneeze, it's kind of doing this and holding it up. Mm, yeah. And sorry, I did interrupt you. And after a pessary, there's some other treatment options too. Yeah, so um, general strengthening, you know, clinical exercise, home programs. I might give them proper advice in terms of like progression into what they want to be doing. But there's lots of little devices. If someone's really weak, we might use an electrical stimulation device like a TENS machine with a vaginal probe. Um, Or we might use real-time ultrasound if they like really need that visual image of their pelvic floor. And then there's things like on the on the market, like the Perifit and the LV and, you know, people like these little things that help them with motivation as well. So I might be coaching them with use of those. Mm, it's so interesting and it's so good to, you know, cover that there are other treatment options because if anyone's struggling or they don't know that these things exist, it gives them a chance to try them and hopefully it helps them in one way or another. But Jess, that probably covers all of our specific incontinence questions for you, but we did put a question and answers box out to um, our Instagram followers and a lot of them have already been covered in this episode, but I do have a couple of questions that they wanted me to ask you. Someone sent in, should I have a physio checkup before my six-week GP checkup? So this is actually new, hot off the press. Um, we had a research update last week in Women's wow. Health. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> and they actually said that they recommend doing it earlier now um, mm. because the sooner you get on top of everything, the better. I know sometimes women think that they have to wait till they've had their six-week check from their GP before they see mm. me. But that's not the case. You know, you can do that if you want to, but the sooner the better, especially if you're not sure that you're doing anything right or if you have any concerns as well. Mm, 100%. And then another question is, birthing with a stage one prolapse, can I still have a vaginal birth over a C-section? 100%. Stage one prolapse is not a prolapse. So they've they've changed the staging and like the terminology because stage zero prolapse just doesn't really exist. You know, Mm. I actually described um, a prolapse this way on my Insta stories a while ago and had a patient come in and just say, Jess, that totally resonated with me. I said, with your face, like the skin on your face, everyone accepts that with aging, it like loses its elasticity and it sags and we get wrinkles you know, the, the vaginal tissues, whether we like it or not, your vagina is not going to be the same as what it was when it was 18. <laughs> it was going to be when you're 60, right? So yeah. it's going to lose its elasticity. It's going to sag a little bit. That's That zero stage just doesn't really exist, mm. you know. Um, so stage one is completely normal. Definitely, definitely fine. Go have a vaginal birth. 
Love that. There you go. You are everyone's cheerleader. <laughs> I'm glad it's you, not me for once, because <laughs> I think I drive people mad. <laughs> um, this is one to do with Pilates. How soon after a C-section can you begin reformer Pilates? I would have your six-week check um, and I'll normally check that you're actually contracting your deeper core properly because I think after a cesarean, what tends to happen is the deeper core switches off and you use your outer core muscles. So that's normally what I want to be checking. And then I think it's just about being sensible. You know, don't jump into your fitness Pilates classes at six weeks, but go into a postnatal or a beginner class. Yes, please don't go back to what you were doing. Take it easy um, because we don't want to cause any more harm. Um, Another question, can you prevent symphysis pubis dysfunction in your next pregnancy? I suffered terribly in my first. Yes, definitely, definitely. I feel like this is my specialty at the moment. Um, (laughs) Great, we'll have you back on the podcast uh, next week and we'll do a whole episode. (laughs) So it. SPD, pelvic girdle pain, so that's the name for it if it's the – people tend to call it SPD if it's at the front. But, um, yeah, definitely if you address the reason you have it in the first place, which generally is a bit of a strength issue, then it is is not going to be as severe in the next pregnancy or hopefully avoidable at all completely. Love that. Just you're firing off, you know, positivity. (laughs) Um, and another question which relates more back to the incontinence, what happens if they remove my catheter with the balloon still inflated? Oh, um, oh my gosh, that's horrible, whoever that happened to, but, um, it does happen. Um, we were kind of talking about this before that sometimes people in labor, like push their balloon catheter out. So, yeah, you know, there is room for it. Obviously, the idea is that when they blow up the catheter, it's stretching to a point that urine can't come out. It's meant to be fitting tightly. So if it does kind of get pulled out, it can kind of cause a bit of trauma to the urethra. I'd like to think that, um, you know, with time and healing and strengthening, it will hopefully go back to normal. You know, you kind of think about women's stomachs and how much they stretch and then, you know, Mm. six weeks later they're pretty much, like people don't have diastasis recti and they might have had a huge five, six finger separation at the end of their pregnancy. So I'd like to think that the connective tissue down there has the same ability to go back to. Yeah. Um, Well, Jess, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me again. You are always a wealth of knowledge and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about all things bladder care. And I'm sure that people listening have taken so much away from it but also you've given them hope and you've just helped to raise more awareness about this topic which we know there needs to be a lot more education out there yeah thanks so much for having me and you know that's exactly why I have my page online I don't want to scare people I want to empower people and you know knowledge is power and so yeah I hope I've helped someone with this podcast today You literally just took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say knowledge is power and we know that we're passionate about educating people. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me again. Thank you. Bye, Jess. See you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of MIDI. 
Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flap chat. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember you're doing the best you can. Thank you.